Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the San Francisco Health Commission meeting of Tuesday, December 20th, 2022. Secretary Morowitz, would you please call the roll? Yes. Um, I'll start with you, Commissioner Bernal. Present. Commissioner Green. Present. Commissioner Gerardo. Present. Commissioner Guillermo. Present. And Commissioner Chow. Present. Uh, I have a script I'll read. Good afternoon and welcome to the December 20th San Francisco Health Commission meeting. This meeting is being held in hybrid format with the meeting occurring in person here at 101 Grove Street, room 300, broadcast live on SFGov TV, available to view via WebEx or to listen by calling 1-415-655-0003. Before we begin, I would like to remind all individuals present and attending the meeting in person today that all health and safety protocols and building rules must be adhered to at all times. This includes wearing a mask covering your nose and mouth at all times during the meeting, including any time you may speak. Failure to adhere to these rules and requirements may result in your removal from this room. We appreciate your cooperation with these important rules and requirements in the interest of everyone's health and safety. Please also note that the hand sanitizer station is available at the entrance of this room. We welcome the public's participation during public comment periods. There will be an opportunity for general public comment towards the beginning of the meeting, and there will be an opportunity to comment on each discussion or action item on the agenda. Each comment is limited to three minutes. Public comment will be taken both in person and through call-in. For each item, the commission will take public comment first from people attending the meeting in person, and then from people attending the meeting remotely. Those attending the meeting in person are requested to submit a public comment card to me. Um, and instructions for those calling in remotely can be found on page four of the meeting agenda. Um, folks on, um, who intend to provide public comment online, there were some problems at the last meeting, and I want to note two things. At the start of every item, if you're interested in making public comment, we encourage you to press star three at that time when the uh, item is called. At the end of an item, I will verbally state that I am clearing all the hands that are up for the, um, the current item before we move into the next one so that everyone will be very clear, it'll be very clear to everyone when to raise your hand. Hopefully that will alleviate any issues. Please note that city policies along with federal, state, and local law prohibit discriminatory or harassing conduct against city employees and others during public meetings and will not be tolerated. Moreover, public comment is permitted only on matters within the jurisdiction of the Health Commission. The next full Health Commission meeting will be on January 3rd, 2023, beginning at 4 p.m. Thank you. Thank you, Secretary Morwitz. It's now my privilege to offer the Ramaytush Ohlone Land Acknowledgement. The San Francisco Health Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramaytush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land, and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramaytush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. All right, our next item is general public comment. All right, folks. At this time, members of the public may address the commission on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the commission but are not on this meeting agenda. Uh, which means that if, the, if there's a topic on the agenda um, that's listed, 
this is not the time to talk about that topic. This is a, the time to talk about something that's not on the agenda. The Brown Act forbids a commission from taking action or discussing any item not appearing on the posted agenda, including those raised during public comment. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. Written public comment may be sent to me at um, mark.morewitz at sfdph.org. You may also um, take um, time during your three minutes to um, spell your name if you'd like to, and I will uh, give you the extra time to do so. So again, please press star three if you'd like to make general public comment about uh, a topic that is not on the agenda. Each right. of you Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. We will begin by our, with our in-person public comment. For this, we have Saul Goldman. Uh, please come up to the podium. And again, I've got an egg timer. When the timer goes off, please know your time is up. Yeah, um, I, I am really sad to hear that you guys are considering uh, your, uh, your mask mandate and all of these uh, restrictions, I would think that you would have learned something from uh, the way you destroyed the city over the past uh, two years. <clears throat> this is something that the public doesn't want and has no interest in. Moreover, as we now well know and has been extensively scientifically documented, masks don't work at all in spreading infection. So why use them? The reason it's being used is for its psychological and political purposes to dehumanize and dominate the citizens of this city, to destroy their livelihoods, and to destroy the minds of their, their children. Uh, one need only look around at the city at how many <clears throat> businesses have closed, how the economy has been destroyed, and the supply chain breakdown that has occurred, which led to the out of control inflation, which has led to the mass homelessness. And it all began right here when you guys way overstepped your constitutional authority with the illegal mask mandate. Um, the medical apartheid that you created has been the most egregious assault on civil rights in this country since since the institution of s s slavery. <clears throat> and I, I believe that the greatest crime of your mask mandate and illegal shutdown of so-called non-essential businesses was actually what happened to the, the children. Um, as we know, there has been uh, a massive spike in developmental disorders, lowered IQs, children, with poor social skills, all as a result of not being able to see people's faces during the important cognitive developmental areas of childhood. I would think that as a group of people that <clears throat> posture as caring about our health, that you would care about the health of these vulnerable and innocent children enough uh, to have learned your lesson the last time around from the uh, absolute uh, disaster, health disaster that you created with these mask mandates. Yield. Thank you for your comment. We have another 
Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Uh, all right, come on up. I'm a local resident of San Francisco, and I am concerned about the proposed indoor mask mandate. Um, so first of all, I'd like to start off by saying that there is no very, very high-quality, double-blinded, placebo-controlled uh, uh, studies that masks are effective in this area or locally that we have seen. So we're going on a hunch, uh, potentially, to make a very large societal change of uh, of an indoor mask mandate. And um, apart from that, there are also no long-term safety studies on whether masks are, are safe. So I, uh, anecdotally, I know people that have had sore throats, they've had acne, uh, they've had repeated eye infections and styes uh, from continued masking indoors. And I would ask this commission to really think about, um, is the cure worse than the disease? And if the answer is that we don't know uh, the proposed cure, which is masking, worse than the, the disease, if the answer is we don't know, why implement a sweeping policy on your constituents if you don't really know the efficacy or the safety of the measure that you are implementing? Um, my third point is, is a point that uh, my predecessor raised, which is the effect of indoor masking on children. So uh, recently, the um, uh, development uh, kind of benchmarking uh, guide of America, they changed the, the, um, the age at which children are supposed to speak words and um, be able to uh, recognize words. And very, a lot of people have posited that this is due to masking of, of young children and of parents. Uh, when children can't see faces, they can't see words, they can't see words enunciated. And um, this leads to uh, lack of development among our, our most vulnerable uh, youth. So um, it's not good for the children, and, and various studies have shown this. Um, and lastly, I would like to say that there is no standardization of masks. So somebody could wrap a, a scarf around their face. Somebody could have an N95. Somebody could have this thing that I'm wearing. And it would all be pretty much recognized as a mask. Now, these masks have very different the whole sizes and like, what are we really doing? You're you're trying to keep out a mis um, uh, it's like it's like using a chain link fence to keep out a mosquito. The mosquito being the virus, and is it really effective? And do we have evidence that it is effective? The last point that I'd like to make is it's extremely divisive. So when you create a situation in which people have to mass to enter a grocery store or a museum. Um, you create more opportunities for discrimination in our society and uh, for people to be, um, to be kept away or separated or segregated because um, they, they don't want to wear this product that necessarily Your time is up for your it. comment. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for your comment. Secretary Morwitz, can we go to the comment line? Yes. Um, hi, caller. You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, is that me? I heard a beep. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Go ahead. Oh, great. Um, okay, uh, well, those guys must have heard the, the last meeting. That's when I was, I was uh, watching the last meeting, too. Um, and uh, I just wanted to ask, uh, you know, I, I mean, I guess they, you still require a mask to go in person. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't be wearing one. But uh, um, I just wanted to ask you guys how you felt about, you know, all those people in the last meeting uh, calling you a coward. 
for doing nothing while you know children are dying and people are dying. Uh, you know, especially after Grant, uh, he gave his report, um, and uh, people were threatening him almost, asking him, "How are you going to explain this to your grandchildren when you guys did nothing to, you know, prevent children from dying and uh, you had the power to do it?" But um, you know, I I, I got to sympathize because you you've had probably not enough time to realize that there's nothing you can do about it. I've sent you information. Uh, I'm sure other people have sent you information as well. You've got information enough to make a good decision. And uh, you probably know that there's no isolated SARS-CoV-2 virus. You probably know that masks don't work and they harm the uh, wearers, as people said. And uh, you, you also know probably that you don't have the authority, legal authority, to control the behavior of people in the way that you've been doing. So anyway, um, I'm really curious to see how you're going to dig yourself out of this hole that you've put yourself in. Um, I did not watch the World Cup, but <laughs> I'm going to be watching this uh, pretty closely. So, yeah. Um, oh, I, I should say I'm happy to help, too, you know, with uh, um seems like maybe some of the people, maybe the people that are there would also be happy to help you guys out. But, uh, yeah, I just wanted to offer that uh, in case you do uh, need some help with this. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for listening. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, be well, and farewell. Thank you very much. All right, thanks for your comment. Next caller, please let us know that you're there. Uh, yes, this is Lotta Bystrom. I'm I'd sorry. like to reiterate what the previous um, can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes. We can't hear you. Okay. I would like to reiterate what the previous uh, caller said, that it actually is a felony to violate a person's rights. And you don't have the authority to force a medical device on people. But also, whatever causes the symptoms of people being sick cannot be from the virus, because the virus has never been proven to exist. And therefore, there are new variants. Nobody has isolated this virus. Nobody. Anywhere in the whole wide world. And you can find proof of this on Christine Mass's website in Canada, fluoridecl.ca. She and others sent out requests to 100 institutions in about 33 countries and asked them to prove that they had the virus isolated. Nobody could provide that proof. And the list is not long of medical doctors and researchers who actually agree with this. CDC admitted early on on their own website when they were talking about the diagnostic test, I'm quoting, there is no quantified virus isolation in 2019 and were available. And also the German biologist, Christian Drosten, who came up with the PCR test, he said, and I'm quoting, we aimed to develop and deploy robust diagnostic methodology for use in public health laboratory settings without having virus material available. Let me repeat, without having virus material available. So let's say there were some of these virus-like particles floating around. They're so small, they would go through these masks like an open window. So the damage you are doing by restricting the intake of oxygen and breathing in your own toxins and carbon dioxide 
uh, carbon dioxide will really increase the bacterial growth inside the mask in your respiratory tract. Children have also collapsed and even died from wearing masks, especially when exercising. And it, many people get pneumonia. You hamper mainly children, not only their physical development, but their emotional development too. You can ask OSHA how healthy masks are. So it's time for the truth to come out, even to people in San Francisco. This so-called science is false and it has to be exposed. Thank you. Yeah. All right, thank you. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, hello? Yes, you've got three minutes. Yes, I'm born and raised in San Francisco, 52 years old, and I'd like for you guys to stop infringing on my constitutional rights. I do not believe in the mask. There's no scientific proof that they work. And I'm going to quote the mayor of London Bridge. She said, last year, we don't need the mask police when she got busted in a nightclub with no mask on. Same with Gavin Newsom having dinner. So if the politicians and you guys that are pushing it on us don't, don't enforce it on yourselves, please don't push it on us anymore. Thank you. Thanks for your comment. All right, next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. I'm here. All right, you've got okay, three Okay, so good afternoon. Yes, thank you. Good afternoon, San Francisco Public Health Commission and San Francisco residents as well. It's been very interesting to hear the past comments because it looks like I'm not alone. Hallelujah. My name is Charlotte, and I've been a resident of San Francisco all my life, and I am calling to speak my voice to you all. As we head into winter, officially tomorrow, and media ramps up the hype about COVID cases once again. I'm aware that there are some in the city who are clamoring for mask mandates to be reinstated. And I want to be perfectly clear here, this is an atrocious idea. And I pose it 100%. Masking has done nothing to reduce infection rates ever. And is it best a talisman for those who wear face masks near religiously? But most importantly, mask mandates are unlawful and segregational. They create discord in society by pitting resident against resident, customer against business owner, student and parent against school authorities, and even you guys. Yep, so on and so on. Mask wearing for lengthy periods of time inhibits full oxygenation of the body and draws in nanoplastics to the lungs if you're wearing those useless surgical masks in particular. So this harms the wearer, and used masks become massive amounts of solid waste, especially on city streets, clogging city drains, and the municipal water processing plants. That's not good for the city. As well, masks hide two-thirds of the face, which becomes very antisocial, harms the mental, emotional, and language development of infants and toddlers, as well as school-aged children. The evidence of mask harm is well-documented, despite not being disseminated in mainstream media. Even countless public officials eschew the mask, especially at large private events, as we heard the previous caller say, Mayor Breed, Tony, 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 and Newsom at the French Laundry ad nauseum. In some, face masks are a scourge on civilized society, and while those who love to wear them can always don them to relieve their fears, it's imperative that mask wearing is never more imposed on those who choose otherwise, especially at public 
Health Commission meetings. Oh, the irony. And it's a non-comical farce, friends. So as 2022 draws to an end, it's far past time to accept that masking is counterproductive, inefficacious, and a colossal material waste, not to mention harmful. You may not agree and still understand that sound individual personal choices are vital to social harmony. Remember clearly this, a masked face protects no one. A maskless face promotes good health and social well-being. Thanks for listening today, folks. Okay. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, my name is Camila. I am a San Francisco native, and I am opposed to the enforcement of mask, a mask mandate. And I just want you to consider that <coughs> you would be discriminating against a group of people um, that includes myself. I have hearing loss, and during the mask mandates, I struggled to communicate with people struggled to carry out my business and interact with others. It is not a good policy to force on everyone. People should have their individual choices. Before COVID and the COVID vaccine, we were able to protect ourselves. I work in the public and I did not catch COVID. And I never have um, and common sense will prevail in a situation where someone can choose to wear a mask or not. So please do not enforce a rule that many folks here have already explained that does not work and we should not fall into the same trap we did um, during COVID pushing policies on citizens that do not work. Thank you. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello, caller. Great. Try someone else. Hi. Caller. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're. There. Oh yeah, you already said that. You've got three minutes. Uh, hi. Uh, this is uh, Dr. Teresa Palmer. I um, showed up to testify about something else, but. As a doctor, as an elder, as someone who's high risk, I, I must uh, say that I trust the Health Commission to follow the evidence and not follow the conspiracy-laden wacky theories that have just been espoused. Masks do prevent infection. They do prevent the elder and immunocompromised and high-risk people from infection. We have to go to groceries, go to shop for groceries. We have to go to pharmacies. Um, please, um, in this very bad period that we're going into, please reinstitute the indoor mask mandate with judicious exceptions for those who will realistically suffer. And please don't listen to these fairy tales. Thank you. All right. Thanks for your comment. I will go back to the caller I tried before. Caller, are you there? Okay. Hi, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello, my name is Yvette Corcoran. Can you hear me? Yes, please go. Hi, um, I'm, um, I'm a registered nurse. I've been in medicine for almost 25 years. And um, the doctor who just previously spoke is speaking out of, <clears throat> out of line. Um, we know that these masks 
do not prevent or uh, prevent contraction uh, or transmission. It, there are plenty of studies that are out there. Even our infamous Dr. Fauci has admitted this so many times. The CDC has confirmed this. Masks are best utilized in an OR, and that's the only place they're best utilized. Um, the, as previous callers have mentioned, <clears throat> they cover the faces, the expressions, it forces us to rebreathe our own CO2, which is harmful. The long-term effects from wearing masks for, uh, are, are just can be contributing to cancers and other toxicities. We also know that it is harming our own immune systems. <clears throat> While this is traditional flu season, we, which we've had since the inception of time, we will continue to have flu season. And what we are finding is that flus that are coming up right now are not being um, returned as positive COVID test, uh, cases. They are the typical flu. And again, likely because of us being covered up and our immune systems being harmed. We know that Fauci uh, and many of the three-letter agencies have conspired uh, with Big Pharma with our media and our government officials, and all of this information is being discovered and unfortunately slowly rolled out. We do anticipate it being slowed out even more uh, quickly, and these are crimes against humanity. Fauci will pay for his crimes along with others, and new government officials who are colluding with these entities will be found guilty also of harming us and going against our constitutional rights. So I encourage you to do the right thing, not violate our constitutional rights, allow people to live freely as they are in the rest of the country and the world, and, lead, and, and, and stop harming all of us, including our small children. Thank you. Okay. Next caller, please let us know that you're there. You've been unmuted. Yeah, this is Steve Zelzer with the United Front Committee for a Labor Party, and uh, we are in favor of masks, and we think it's uh, problematic that you have not reinstituted masks in San Francisco despite uh, a grave threat because of the flu uh, and uh, COVID and other, other problems. Uh, I just returned from Japan. Everyone is masked there. The planes are masked there, and they protect the population. Here, people, ideologues, believe it's freedom to give to get COVID and to give COVID, and that's exactly what's going on. So you should immediately institute a mask, particularly for in, uh, uh, indoor locations, public locations. But what I'm here to talk about is the privatization of healthcare in San Francisco. San Francisco has been outsourcing, the Democrat, Democrats who control San Francisco have been outsourcing public care and have allowed uh, the corruption and uh, d uh, destruction of healthcare. Healthcare 360 uh, is Healthright 360 is an, an example of uh, San Francisco setting up a, a so-called nonprofit, uh, which is outsourcing and privatizing uh, public health care. That has to stop, and uh, we need uh, more money for public health care and the protection of the health care workers and the public. And this is a direct attack on the working class and the poor in San Francisco. And uh, the only public hospital, and I know that's a point on the agenda, 
uh, is threatened with privatization. Um, you are discharging people from that hospital uh, to what? To nursing homes. The nursing homes have been deregulated. There's no protection at these nursing homes. And the state government, Gavin Newsom and his Department of Public Health, and the federal government have allowed these private for-profit developers in the nursing industry to basically rip off and kill people in these nursing homes. Uh, the deaths, the large number of deaths from COVID took place because of your deregulation, the Democratic Party. And Mr. Bernal and Nancy Pelosi, who he works for, are part of the privatization of the healthcare industry, part of the refusal to oversight of the healthcare industry and the nursing home industry. And you're pushing out people in San Francisco out of uh, the only uh, public hospital for working class and poor is really a crime. It's a, a crime of murder because that's what you're doing in the transfer of these seniors and patients that need good health care. Where are they going? They're going to, home, uh, to uh, homeless centers. They're going to other places where they're not getting proper care. It's really criminal negligence on your part, and this commission should resign. There should be an elected commission of health care workers, of community, uh, and the patients to uh, run the health care system. The privatization of that land is really what we're talking about because uh, I understand UC uh, maybe wants the land. And what is driving this privatization is the profiteering uh, of uh, San Francisco. Your, billionaires your time for really comment is up. Thank you so much. Okay. Next caller, please let us know that you're there. I am here. Yes, you've got three minutes. Thank you. Um, I'm a resident of San Francisco. I've been here for 15 years. Uh, I just would like to say that I oppose any reinstatement of the mask mandate. These mandates are unlawful and unconstitutional. That's all. Thank you very much. Hi, uh, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Thank you very much, uh, Michael Weiner. I'm uh, also a member of the American Public Health Association, and uh, I just want to point out, people may, might argue that they have, anyone should have the right to uh, either wear a mask or not wear a mask, but it's also been shown that, uh, that one-way masking in other words, a single person, a single person wearing a mask is not as well protected if other people are not wearing masks. So uh, yes, you need the uh, the mandate. But what I'm talking about uh, today has to do with um, the secret session that you are having, um, the closed session that you're having on Laguna Honda. Mr. Lyons, the uh, public comment on that item would be for uh, for the closed session, uh, not at this time. So I'm going to mute you. You can make that comment at a different time. Uh, next caller, you're unmuted. Oh, uh, I guess I just learned that Laguna Honda is going to be discussed later. Uh, I will hold off my comment until then. All right, thanks. All right, give me one second to get organized here. Okay, caller, you're unmuted. Um, hi. Hi. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I can say here we are again, two years of hardships, and are still pushing for mandates that are not lawful, but harmful. 
the San Francisco Commission should stop working for the elites. If you cannot handle your role and responsibility in the interest of the community, you should resign. Instead of coercion, please stop NIH and CDC from releasing strains of patented bioweapons like the SARS virus, Ebola, and RSV. Protect the people instead of firing them because they don't wear masks. Don't close businesses and take away people's livelihood. Find your inner self. Spread love instead of hate at the so-called conspiracy theorists, anti-vaxxers, and deplorables. Don't disguise your ignorance of health knowledge by acting like tyrants. Think of how you can be hailed as heroes by finding and implementing prevention and treatment of diseases. Find the truth. Be a hero for once. Stop the pandemic, tripodemic. Don't subjugate the people who pay taxes, your salaries and perks, and for all your government entities. You should you serve us, we the people. I think you, you should think hard about the impact of your actions and not ignore all the comments as likely you will be held accountable, including doctors and nurses who are promoting the lies because you are well compensated. So that's all. Think hard and please do the right thing. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I believe we have a few more. Caller, you're on muted. Please let us know that you're there. I'm here. All right, you've got three this minutes. This is Eva Chow. Hey, can you turn off? Okay. <laughs> this is Eva Chow, and I've been a resident of San Francisco for the last 30-some years. And I want to thank you guys for listening to us living in San Francisco on opposing the enforcement of mass mandates in our own city. Please note that the best history books usually don't get written until years after the historical events took place, when the truth eventually uh, gets revealed, the truth which have been continuously suppressed by the mainstream propaganda media, which will eventually get revealed by those who are here to speak the truth against the mass. Let it be known that there's no reputable scientific studies between the use of mass and having it help in suppression of COVID. When the supposed virus particles are between 0.23 to 0.46 microns large, while the gaps between even the individual strands of each, uh, the individual threads of each strands of the mask are 1,000 times larger than the 0.23 to 0.46 microns. So this is not only unreasonable, but irrational to even think or consider that the mask will work when it is akin to trying to prevent a mosquito from flying through a chain link fence. With this, it's even more absurd to continue the use of masks to kill small businesses. If you really do care to keep people employed in San Francisco and small businesses alive, prove it by stopping the enforcement of masks. Thank you so much. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. 
Yes. Um, first of all, I'd like to address the person who said that um, mandatory masking is both unlawful and unconstitutional. As a legal and constitutional scholar at San Francisco State, I can tell you that this is not true and that other countries have used it. If you want to look at statistics, other countries have found that masking is tremendously effective. And these countries have much better uh, public health systems than we do. So in both regards, we need to step up. Let me also say that the, the last speaker's pseudo-scientific information is also very untrue, that masks have been shown to be extremely effective regarding the lack of post COVID, uh, of COVID trans, both transmission and reception within a community. I do not understand why people keep repeating these lies and promoting the idea that, um, that killing people is bad for business. So please, in San Francisco, we know to listen to the correct authorities that are giving us the good answers. So please stop this flow of misinformation. Departments of Public Health, you are simply not doing enough. You are not doing enough to protect the public. You aren't even urging that masks be used. You, there is no campaign to further this goal and to tell people in simple declaratory ways how they can protect themselves from the triple threat of COVID, RSV, and the flu. I thank you very much for your time. I hope you are listening. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Uh, yes, I'm here. All right, you've got three minutes. Okay, great. Um, my name is Scott Gordon. I've been an industrial hygienist since 1986. I have been employed by many companies to specify personal protective equipment, to conduct training in that personal protective equipment, including masks, including respirators, and such. The key part of any masking protocol is training, unless the operator, the person who's using that mask has been trained in how to wear that mask, that mask will always be useless. And I ask each of the people in this meeting today, how much training have you received regarding masking? Because my understanding and my experience is that no one has received any training whatsoever. Also, in response to people who claim that masking is effective, there are no studies that show that masking is effective. There are no countries that have used masking to prevent COVID epidemics. Uh, you can look at uh, Taiwan in the last month. Their masking rates are 99%. They just had a massive outbreak. Um, Japan, the same. China, of course, the same, um, where, the, where the situation is even more extreme. I applaud the caller earlier who described uh, using masks against COVID as a uh, plan of using chain link fences to keep out mosquitoes. Nothing could be more true than that analogy. The pore size of the masks and the types of masks which are being used are not effective against COVID, and they never will be. Instead of training people and selecting the proper masks, 
we have told our population, hundreds of millions of people, to go out and buy some crap on Etsy that looks cute. And I have to tell you, um, our public health professionals who have encouraged that kind of a situation should be ashamed because that is obviously on its face a, rep- a recipe for failure. Um, is everybody aware that if you have facial hair, you may not wear a mask? Facial hair completely destroys the ability of a mask to do its work. So anybody in the room who has facial hair, you may not wear a mask. Have you been trained on that? No. How about the frequency of changes? Masks can only be used once. They have to be thrown away. They're contaminated once they've been used once. You can't touch your mask. You can't touch your face. You need to know how to do continuous leak testing while you're wearing your mask. You have to know how to watch your mask deform as you inhale and exhale. We do inventory control on uh, people who are wearing masks. How often, how, how many masks do they use over the course of a month? All of these things. Um, we um, um, look at these things from a professional point of view. We look at this situation from a professional point of view. And this is the greatest professional insult that I've ever received in my career is this mask experience of the last two years. It is, quite frankly, a joke to consider, to even consider that we go on with it is ridiculous. Thank you. Hi, caller. You're on. uh, You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Uh, I am Mark. This is Patrick. Um, I, I need to know what agenda item you're on. We're on general public comment. Item two. Okay, uh, excuse me, can, can you start my three minutes? No. What? No, please keep talking. Commissioner Chowett asked about the executive staff on November 8th at the JCC meeting and a nursing home administrator position. I testified to the JCC that the candidate um, that you're going to home grow the training um, is widely disrespected and does not have the required master's degree in nursing home administration. Given the patient sexual abuse scandal in 2019, it's a bad idea to home grow a nursing home administrator. Laguna Honda residents merit having a highly qualified licensed nursing home administrator possessing proven experience. This commission should require a nationwide search to hire an already licensed nursing home administrator rather than this inexperienced wannabe candidate. Laguna Honda residents deserve no less. There California Healthcare Foundation Healthcare Improvement Project results uh, claimed that it resulted in a dis- decreased wait time for the Laguna Honda Acute Rehab Unit and an increased average daily census on the Acute Rehab Unit. That Rehab Unit census has remained low for years and years because patients who have the option to choose Laguna Honda for acute rehab, do not do so. And the competition for those patients is 
so high among other Bay Area and San Francisco in-county hospitals. Please conduct a nationwide search to find somebody who is truly qualified for that position. Thank you. All right, uh, that completes all of the general public comment from folks I have, have hands up. I'm going to um, uh, take down all the hands right now so we can move on to the next item. All right, thank you, Secretary Morowitz, and thank you callers and folks here in the audience in person for showing up to share your perspectives. Uh, our next item on the agenda is a discussion item, and it's the Laguna Honda Hospital and Rehabilitation Center closure plan and CMS recertification update. For this, we have Roland Pickens, director of the San Francisco Health Network and the acting Laguna Honda CEO. Mr. Pickens. It's actually um, Baljeet Sangha. Oh, uh, sorry. And I apologize. Uh, the version you have is an older version, Commissioner. That's oh, my apologies. And I apologize, Baljeet. Hello, Mr. Sangha. Hey, good evening, commissioners. Thank you for having me. Um, so we will, uh, there's a short presentation we have to present this evening. And um, once it's queued up, I can walk us through it. Oh, uh, Mark, can you give me access to yes. share it? Yes, yes, I'm sorry. <clears throat> it should show up now. And, uh, and again, folks who want to make comment on this item, is this is the time to press star three to make sure your hand goes up. Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much. So this evening we're presenting a short update um, on the Laguna Honda Hospital for executive team report uh, regarding all the activities at Laguna Honda. And so uh, if we could advance to the uh, fifth slide, that's where we want to start. Slides uh, one to four are just uh, history that we've already shared. I just want to make sure it continues to be shared uh, for the posting, should anyone be joining into the conversation uh, kind of anew. But here in slide five, we'd love to start with uh, just an update on the settlement agreement with CDPH and CMS and the extended payments and closure plan pause. As we've discussed in some of the past meetings in the venues, on November 10th, the City and County of San Francisco did sign the settlement and systems improvement agreement with CMS and CDPH. Now, under that agreement, we will be continuing to get receiving uh, payment for care at Lugan Honda until uh, um, the end of 2023 on November 13th. Also part of that is the uh, continued pause on involuntary discharges and transfers of residents until February 2nd, 2023. Now, we, now CMS will have the option to further extend that date, uh, but that depends on Laguna Honda's progress in complying with the settlement agreement. One update here to share is that Laguna Honda executives did receive a verbal briefing by the quality improvement expert um, regarding um, uh, updates of the work that they have been doing. So we'll be requesting a hard copy of that analysis. Now, as required by the settlement agreement, Laguna Honda and the QIE are moving forward with preparing an action plan that will be submitted to CMS and CDPH on or before January 6th, 2023. Uh, next slide, please. Now, part of this were monitoring surveys. And so per the settlement and systems agreement, CMS uh, would be conducting a monitoring survey every 90 days. And these are unannounced, extensive, full recertification surveys. Now, the first of these monitoring surveys did begin on November 28th, with over 20 surveyors engaging with the organization, uh, and it concluded on December 16th, just recently. Now, during this time, Laguna Honda staff worked pretty closely and collaboratively with the survey team to ensure they had everything they need, both just in accessing the facility, documentation, and so um, it, was a, it was a collaborative effort um, for the entire time period there. There were items noted throughout the survey process that were addressed in real time, which is the typical uh, approach and the typical uh, method for these surveys. And so just we're looking forward to um, 
hearing from Laguna Honda kind of what the response would be to that monitoring survey. So the next slide will tell us a little bit about that experience. So while we do not have the official results of the first monitoring survey, the outcome of it will be the, the benchmark for, that we're going to be utilizing for recertification. Obviously, a successful survey will help Laguna Honda assert that CMS should continue to pause on transfers and discharges. So while we await that statement of findings, we are continuing to proactively uh, monitor all the potential findings and the completion of associated work, which began when we were collaborating with them while they were here. Uh, one thing just to note, and just more of a process um, statement, once the statement of deficiency is also called the 2567 is received, Laguna Honda will then have 10 days to submit a plan of correction. Uh, the next slide, please. And this slide just um, it gives us an update kind of where we are just overall um, in terms of working diligently with uh, keeping our residents, visitors, and staff safe over the winter holidays. This time of year is certainly a time of year where everyone comes together to celebrate the wrap of to the year 2022, uh, celebrate the beginning to a new one, and, and celebrating just the winter uh, holidays. Now, we are uh, reminding our staff and working very closely with staff and visitors and our residents um, to make sure to continue to wear the N95 respirators and eye protection in all the resident care areas. Uh, and the screening testing for COVID-19 has temporarily increased to twice weekly for all staff and residents so we can quickly identify and isolate cases. Uh, and Laguna Honda con continues the march and the encouragement to make sure that all available um, uh, staff and residents are accessing and, and getting the COVID-19 bivalent booster as well as the flu vaccine. And so with that, that is uh, the conclusion of the update for, for this. It's really a lot of uh, activity, but we're looking forward to getting formal documentation. So in, in a future venue, we can provide you more definitive updates of, of, of what we're receiving. So I'll, I'll pause there. Happy to, to take any questions. Thank you, Mr. Senga. Uh, Secretary Moritz, do we have any public comment on this item? Yes, uh, we have a lot of public comment. Um, Folks on the line, I will call you as I see you, and uh, you each will have three minutes. Actually, I need, I'm sorry, I have another um, thing to read. For each agenda item, members of the public will have an opportunity to make comment for up to three minutes. The public comment process is designed to invite input and feedback from individuals in the community. However, the process does not allow questions to be answered in the meeting or for members of the public to engage in back and forth conversations with the commissioners or me, by the way. The commissioners do consider comments from members of the public when discussing an item and making requests to the DPH. Please note that each individual is allowed one opportunity to speak per agenda item. Individuals may not return more than once to read statements from other individuals unable to attend the meeting. You may uh, choose to spell your name without taking your allotted three minutes. All right. First caller, you are unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, my name is Art Persico of the SF Grey Panthers. First of all, I object to Laguna Honda Hospital's fate being discussed during closed session of this meeting today. We, the public, deserve transparency, please. Laguna Honda is a rare and precious public long-term facility that is an alternative to the profit nursing home industry, which historically done such a poor job of the pursuit of profits over people. That has meant death due to thousands of its residents during the pandemic. I'm 72, and so I'm among the large number of SF baby boomers who would love to find their and need home services. San Francisco's government to evict and kill fragile Laguna Honda residents and put others at risk of death in a misguided effort to solve deficiencies at Laguna Honda Hospital is an unforced error, an unnecessary tragedy, and should be all of us have and especially you commissioners who are tasked 
to what for public health and SF are stakeholders in the future of Laguna Honda. So, the, you know, you know the resumption of Laguna Honda's normal operations should not be dependent on its closure, nor on forced discharges, nor bed cuts. That defies common sense and the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm. All levels of government are responsible for this situation. So you and our health department and our representatives, both appointed and elected, must stand up for what the people of San Francisco want and need, which is a safe and adequately staffed and publicly funded nursing home and qualified staff to run it. Please do all you can within your power to keep Laguna Honda open and continuing to serve its fragile elderly residents. Improve it, yes. Shut it down, no. Evict residents, no. Maintain the pause. Thank you. All right, thanks for your comments. Next caller, you're muted. I'm sorry, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, uh, my name is Susan Englander. I'm a former nurse, and I object, as Art Fursco does, to the, to the closed session discussion of this vital public issue. If this is the Department of Public Health and if, if Laguna Honda is a public facility, you should not be talking about this issue behind closed doors. In particular, I object to the, to the flow project and to return admissions decisions to Laguna Honda hospital staff. I'll focus on this because it's only one of the many points that I feel very strongly about. But I think it's one of the things that got us into these six. This six, those beds that have gone inappropriately to the very deserving but not appropriate admissions of mental health and drug abuse patients is a vast mismanagement of Laguna Honda's mission to serve those who are disabled, those who are elderly, those who are vulnerable. And had I known this in the past, I would have spoken out against it very, very severely. We cannot throw away resources to a dedicated population that needs these beds just because we've run out of room in other places. We shouldn't be playing musical chairs with people's lives. We should be building more beds in more places for these folks. I also blame Mayor London Breed for this situation. She seems to be asleep on the switch, not only regarding the homeless, but regarding the vulnerable, the sick, the disabled, the elderly. I call on the Department of Public Health to educate the current administration, and to educate yourselves about the vast injustice done by allocating these beds inappropriately. Thank you very much. All right, thank you for your comment. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello? Yes, hello, it's Patrick Monetro again. Yes, begin, please. Um, you would think that the CMS monitoring survey that began on November 28th would be over by now. After all, it's been close to a month. 
if the survey is complete, Laguna Honda should release the Form 2567 Statement of Deficiencies it receives now. And when you do submit a plan of correction, you should immediately make that available because it will become available rather quickly on the California Department of Public Health website. Um, I find it strange that um, the presenter um, of this agenda item mentioned that the um, action plan is due to CMS on January 6th. I hope to God that the Health Commission makes that document publicly available immediately when I file a public records request to obtain it on January 6th and not go through this horseshit of uh, DPH claiming that your quality improvement expert didn't provide you with the copy of the action plan like it claimed it hadn't provided DPH with a copy of the um, uh, previous report that was due on December 1st. Um, the uh, other document, I'm forgetting the name of it, but I'll make sure I put it in my 150-word comments that um, it's totally inconceivable that your consultant, who you are paying up to $3 million a year, didn't give you a copy of that document due on December 1st, and you need to make damn sure that you get a copy of the action plan when it is submitted to CMS by January 6th, and not rely on this phony baloney that the consultant that you're paying cash to didn't give a copy of it to the outfit that's paying their consulting salary. Um, you need to be much more transparent with members of the public, and it's time you start acting like a real oversight body as the... Your comment um, is, uh, is over. Thank you. All right, next caller. You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, hello. Uh, this is Melanie Grossman, and I am the president of the Older Women's League, and I'm speaking on behalf of the Older Women of San Francisco. I'm asking that the, um, that the flow, flow project be terminated, that... Um, that Laguna Honda has been filled because of the flow project by people in need of mental health and drug and alcohol addiction services, which is not part of the mission of Laguna Honda and has created a lot of problems in that facility. So I'm asking you to restore the traditional mission so that uh, women who have been displaced by the Flow Project have a place to go um, when they're elderly and in need of services and, and, and when they are indigent. My second uh, ask is that um, 
there should be no bed loss because of the new requirements for two residents per bed. Laguna Honda is a relatively new facility. Uh, they have had a pretty good record with COVID and people managing quite well with the three bed rooms, uh, three person uh, beds per room. Uh, and they should be grandfathered in. Um, I think that uh, re reduction to, for two beds per room will be especially hard on older women who uh, tend to live longer than men and are definitely uh, in need of a place to go. And third, um, I think we should also focus on more community services so that people can receive adequate care in their own homes and that we have more inpatient mental health rehab centers and um, drug addiction uh, centers in our neighborhoods so that they can have um, treatment on demand and have uh, real uh, have people running these facilities who know about uh, treating uh, the drug addicted and treating severe mental health problems, which mental which which uh, Laguna Honda is not really equipped to do. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for listening. All right, thank you for your comment. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hello. Yes, you've got three yes, minutes. Yes, my name is. Okay, thank you. Hello, commissioners. My name is Norman Dagelman, and I'm a longtime resident of San Francisco. Please save Laguna Honda Hospital with all its beds intact and to fund alternatives for those who need care and other settings. Thank you. Hey, thank you for your comments. Next caller, you are unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. Um, I, uh, one of the things I heard is that the action plan is being prepared for January 6th, which means, uh, to my understanding, that means the root cause analysis has been submitted, but the public has not seen it. It's been kept secret. And is that because the root cause analysis is so embarrassing to the Department of Public Health that you're using the subterfuge that the consultants that work for you are submitting it? Uh, please tell us why we can't see the root cause analysis. Um, you uh, probably, and I, it, it, it also beggars belief that you don't know the results of the CMS survey, which um, if flunked means that um, forced discharges will resume and deaths will resume and um, discharges of uh, fragile people to homeless shelters will resume and discharges of people to um, unqualified, low-quality chain private nursing homes in other counties will resume. This is completely unacceptable and must not occur. Um, to uh, make resumption of normal operations dependent on closure, forced discharges, and bed cuts is um, egregious and unacceptable and the San Francisco Department of Public Health must work with all other grants of all other uh, levels of government to stop this. 
Um, there are not enough Medi-Cal nursing home beds in the greater region. This will lead to a crisis. It will lead to people dying in their homes and dying on the, on the streets. Laguna Honda should not be sacrificed because all levels of government have been slow in funding other types of care. And um, Laguna Honda needs to resume normal operations with beds intact and with those long-term residents who are who need nursing home care still at Laguna Honda, do not discharge them to their death, please. Fight this, speak up for the people of San Francisco, speak up for the people you are appointed to represent, please. Thank you. All right, thank you for your comments. Next caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yeah, this is Steve Zeltzer again, uh, United Front Committee for the Labor Party, and I think that this report by a highly paid administrator is completely uh, uh, cover-up. There's no report on what's happening with the test, whether the facility has passed or filled the tests. Why not? Uh, the movement of patients to uh, uh, non-Medi-Cal uh, approved nursing homes has meant that they're going to lower quality care. And the, the state of California, Governor Newsom, Department of Public Health, and the federal government know that. But the nursing home industry in California is allowed to operate unqualified, uncertified places because it's private. And the uh, politicians, the Democrats in San Francisco and the legislature in California and the nationally allow these ripoff artists and billionaire gougers to kill people. That is what's happening in California and around this country. And the reason is, is because the Democrats are run by the billionaires. There are over 80 billionaires in San Francisco, and they say they don't have money for, uh, for the people who need health care in San Francisco, for the homeless, the people who are dying in the streets. That's because you uh, appointees of the mayor represent the corporations. You represent the billionaires in San Francisco. You don't represent the working class and poor, unionized, unorganized workers in San Francisco. You're basically puppets for the people who are destroying the healthcare system in this country and in San Francisco. San Francisco had a great facility, and it's been destroyed by Democratic mayors, uh, including Gavin Newsom, including Ed Lee, uh, including uh, the present mayor. They are destroying the public health care system. It's not an accident, and it's not a mistake. It's a conscious policy of privatization and privatizing our health care system. So you have to be replaced. You have to be removed. And working people in San Francisco need a political alternative. The Democrats, including the Board of Supervisors, kowtow to these billionaires. That's why people are dying. That's why, in fact, in this whole issue of Laguna Honda, there's been no campaign statewide to protect the nursing people. There's no place to send these patients other than the homeless shelters and unqualified uh, rooms. And this is exactly what you're doing. So the politics behind this is profit, profiteering, and making more money for the nursing home developers. The nursing home developers, the billionaires who run the nursing home industry, want Laguna Honda shut down because they're going to get more patients. And that is the reality. Again, it's also about it's all about profiteering. It's about uh, a, a state and federal government which is really controlled by the owners of the nursing industry. And the whole uh, for-profit nursing industry, including Kaiser and the other so-called non-profit HMOs in San Francisco. There's not enough space, and there's a crisis, and many, many more people will die because of the failure. Of, this, of the Democrats who run San Francisco, who run the state of California, to have a program Your to represent the working people and the poor people. Thank you. Okay, we have a few more hands. 
caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, hi, my name is Joseph Urban, and my mother-in-law, Betty Campbell, was a recent resident at Laguna Hada until her death on September 29th. I'd like to focus on the issue of transfer trauma and the impending restart of the transfer and location process at Laguna Honda Hospital in February. We're all ignorant of the detailed causes of transfer trauma, and we remain ignorant of any solution. We are all aware of the nine deaths of Laguna Honda residents after they have been transferred following the start of that program. There have been no reports provided to the public of that assess the causes and locations of those deaths. On the online closure patient transfer dashboard was last updated at the end of July and states that 41 patients were transferred to skilled nursing facilities. We can only assume that those nine people that died were from this group of 41 people. That's a 22% death rate. The public has not seen any plans describing how a future transfer and relocation process will result in a death rate lower than 22%. We can only estimate that there are about 400 SNFs residents remaining at Laguna Honda. 22% of 400 is 88. That's a forecast of 88 deaths. Anyone, everyone is on notice that we are anticipating that a restart of the transfer and relocation program in February 2023 will result in the deaths of 88 people. No effort has been made to mitigate the expected deaths of 88 San Franciscan residents. No research has been executed to determine the conditions that accelerated the demise of nine people that had died. To go back to the, we don't know, even know what the problem really is. No research has been executed to identify the attributes of existing residents that increased their risk to tr of trauma and death due to a transfer. No procedures have been defined to monitor the transfer residents to ensure that the trauma of transfer is minimized and that they are not on a path towards dying. No procedures have been defined to take immediate action where those transferred residents are approaching a critical state, such as repatriating them back to Laguna Honda. No agreements have been defined with the receiving SNFs to collect data on the transferred residents to ensure that their health is not degraded. This transfer and relocation process has killed nine people. We have not learned why, and we're about to restart that process. To make up my further point, I'd like to consider an allegory that I believe is quite similar. So picture yourself on a dark highway, uh, 101. No one knows it's a highway. It's too dark. You have lined up 41 people. You tell them to run across the highway. Next, you look across and you see nine dead people, and you don't know why they died. Next, you look behind you, and you see 400 people staring at you. It's February 3rd, and you have not executed any additional analysis to determine why those nine people died. And now you have to decide if you're going to send those 400 people across the highway. It's morally and irresponsible to allow this transfer and relocation process to restart on February 3rd. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, commissioners, I believe there are a few more hands. Hi, caller. Uh, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. I'm here. Oh, you've got three minutes. You Thank you. Um, my name is Karen Fishkin. I'm a retired geriatric social worker. Uh, my whole professional life was in San Francisco working with seniors, some of whom um, I worked for an agency where we had a whole range of responsibilities, including conservatorships. The goal was to keep people at home as long as possible. When that became no longer possible, uh, we had to work to, to get them placement. And so I had clients who went to Laguna Honda, and I could see the, the level of care they received there as opposed to other 
private places um, in the city, I never worried about my clients at Laguna Honda. They were well taken care of. I think it's um, publicly understood that the flow project that was not in effect when, when I had clients there made a huge difference in the day-to-day living in that facility. That project caused the problems, led to the problems that have brought us to where Laguna Honda is today. Uh, it needs to be stopped. Uh, it's that the folks going in there are not meant for a skilled nursing facility. They need programs out in the community and possibly some other inpatient programs. But Laguna Honda is not the appropriate place, and it's really created problems that is endangering all of the folks at Laguna Honda and the future folks. I'm one of those people who may need Laguna Honda in the future. And um, I expect the Health Commission in San Francisco to be outraged and very vocal and um, determined to make sure that that disaster that's looming, the closure of Laguna Honda, does not happen. So please carry that out. Make sure this facility goes back to the good care that it was able to provide for many, many people for many, many years, uh, and that there's a bed there for me should I need it. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, last caller. Um, please let us know that you're there, caller. Uh, yeah, Mark, this is Patrick. What agenda item is this? Uh, you've already spoken, I believe, Mr. Manette Shaw. This is item three, and I already have your comments, so I, I apologize for calling you twice. I'm not sure. Or, or maybe you hung up and called back, but you've already spoken. All right, thank you. Okay. All right, that is all the hands, commissioners, for public comment. All right, thanks as always to everyone for calling in and sharing uh, your perspective. It's important that we hear from the people of San Francisco during these meetings. Uh, commissioners, do you have any comments or questions? Uh, I'm, oh, let me, I'm sorry, let me see if I see any hands. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo. Commissioner Guillermo. Thank you, uh, and uh, thanks again uh, to the public for uh, uh, taking uh, the time to voice your concerns and opinions, uh, uh, but I would uh, like to reserve my comments to acknowledge the work uh, of the staff at Laguna Honda um, in this uh, critical uh, period, which is unprecedented, uh, I, I believe, in the, in the history of Laguna Honda. A number of these uh, issues that are being uh, uh, reviewed um, are years and, in some cases, decades in the making. Uh, and uh, there is a current uh, management and staff that is uh, working as hard as it possibly uh, can and uh, is allowed to, under the restrictions, uh, to do everything they can on behalf of the uh, residents of Laguna Honda. Uh, and those may who may become residents in the future. So I uh, want to acknowledge uh, as we um, close uh, 
this very, very difficult uh, year, uh, all the hard work uh, and the dedication uh, and um, the compassion with which uh, you have approached uh, the work and appreciate um, uh, just to let you know that you are uh, appreciated because I know that there's only more, more, um, more to come. Um, and even as we uh, are waiting to hear more, uh, we know that uh, the, in the, um, um, the difficulties uh, will continue uh, to be burning, burning uh, the staff. And I just want to make sure that you are aware that um, there is there is support for you and acknowledgement of the work that you have done today. Thank you. Commissioner Green also has her hand up. All right, Commissioner Green. Thank you, Commissioner Guillermo. Yes, well, um, first of all, I really like to echo what Commissioner Guillermo has said. It was someone on the Joint Conference Committee for Laguna. We are getting emails at every hour of night and day with summaries of what's happened on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of them are pages long. And I know that the staff has worked hours and uh, everyone in the staff from the uh, people taking care of the patients to the people in EVS to leadership have all worked together in such a collaborative way to try to do the best they can. They've been so respectful of some representatives evaluating them that that um, I think they're hard judges. And their humility and dedication to the residents is, is really remarkable. Um, you know, it's, it's very difficult to give great health care when you yourself are under siege. And I think that's happened across the board with all the um, staff at Laguna and they, they, they you know, deserve real um, recognition for being able to continue to give the type of care that some of the people in the public have described um, under such adverse circumstances. Um, I, I had just one question, which is, can you um, please reiterate for us um, uh, Baljeet, what is what is the time frame again for us getting these um, the report that the the um, that that will require a plan of correction? In other words, I, I'm a little confused with the holidays in particular, understanding when the um, the uh, um, final written information will reach us for the 2567s, and then what the turnaround time might be because it seems like holidays. It's, I, I, I'm trying to figure out how all these all these puzzle pieces work together. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question, uh, Commissioner Green. So, you know, the um, the uh, the uh, surveying entity then usually generally has about 10 business days, 10 days to uh, provide their summary of their deficiencies, which is the 2567. Now, we're in an interesting time of year where, you know, the, for example, Christmas falls on Sunday, but then here in the County of San Francisco, it's observed on the Monday. And some other entities are doing something, you know, different agencies have different requirements. But we do know then that there's a time period of, let's say, you know, X or 10 days where then the surveying entity has time to put together their report. That's the 2567. That then gets delivered, say, let's say on the 11th day to uh, the organization. The organization then that the second phase starts where the clock starts where then the organization then has 10 days to submit uh, their written plan of correction to accompany the 2567 and so that 2567 plan of correction goes back to the serving entity of like you know here's the here are the findings and here's the response and everything then there's a short period um, ideally a short period where then the serving entity has the opportunity to then respond provide feedback and really want them to accept the plan of correction uh, as written 
And at that point, then we considered that to be then a fully accepted kind of experience, 267 plus the plan of correction. And then any organization is in the meantime, as I described earlier, is already just working on items and working on things to make sure things can be improved, corrected, and sustained. So all in all, it's about, um, say, 20 calendar days for that first part. And then that does not include any kind of perhaps feedback or um, some um, suggestions that the serving entity may have to evolve the document. So with these holidays, do you know when day 10 actually is? Because there's all these three-day things. I mean, I, I'm more curious because of the holidays. When When is day 10? And would they, do they have longer than 10 days? Um, like people are on vacation next week and things like that, or, or can we be, do, do they have the mandate to give it to us in 10 days no matter what? Generally, it's 10 days, um, but you know, the serving entities do reserve the right to um, take longer if they need to. And so it's, um, it's, it's, it's again, the industry average is 10. I, I wouldn't say that, you know, with the holidays that are folks that are out um, and, and uh, this time of year, again, is a very difficult time of year to get folks together that it could take a little longer. Um, but, you know, I actually confess, I'm not certain if the state of California um, and how, if the federal holiday, if it's observed on the Monday of the 26th or not. And so I think that would, um, you know, if, if we just count from there, that would just pretty much give us a sense of when we can expect the 2567 back to us. But again, the agency does reserve the right. It's their prerogative to be able to say, well, you know, to take to take longer if they need to, to compile all the results. Great. Well, thank you for that clarification, because I did have a hard time counting the days. I really yeah, appreciate it. I understand. Totally. Commissioner Chow has his hand up. Commissioner Chow. Yes. Uh, Thank you. I, this is sort of in follow-up to uh, Commissioner Green, just trying to clarify. I, I believe that the 2567 is related to the response to the periodic survey that is uh, in the agreement uh, every 90 days, right? And every 90 days they do uh, a review. This time it sounds like you reported they do about two weeks worth, and I think those are what we were receiving uh, updates on, and uh, then they are going to create a 2567. That's what I guess Dr. Green is talking about would be coming. And then we have so many days in order to respond. Now, that is somewhat different from the root cause analysis report, uh, as I understand it, and that the periodic reports are the ability for us then to actually just like in a regular state survey um, or CMS survey through the years, uh, respond back and have that process. Uh, the RCA is different. Is, is, is that correct? Uh, it, there are two different surveys going on uh, or two different types of correction that uh, are occurring at this time. Yeah, you're correct on all accounts, Commissioner Chow. Okay, so so we, we need to kind of clarify in our own minds, there is a periodic survey to which we will be receiving information, and we'll be receiving information later on the RCA, which is the one that's called for in the agreement that uh, you're going to be responding on January 6th. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Commissioner Chow. Any other uh, questions or comments from commissioners? I see no other hands. All right. Thank you, Secretary Moore. It's uh, Baljeet. I did want to acknowledge again, associate myself with the remarks of 
my fellow commissioners about uh, the extraordinary work of you and your team and Mr. Pickens and everyone else as you really went through a very long and extended survey uh, during which, again, I, speaking to what uh, Commissioner Green had mentioned, uh, really appreciated the updates that we received that were extensive um, and comprehensive. You know, I've spent a good amount of time at Laguna Honda, and I've always found it to be a really great institution with an incredibly dedicated staff that's committed to their work. Um, and it's really, a, you know, a bright and vibrant and really pleasant uh, environment for its residents, which I imagine stands in sharp contrast to a lot of other skilled nursing facilities in California. And just in reflecting on all of this, and I'm speaking for myself, um, and perhaps these are rhetorical questions, but I know that, you know, the staff at Laguna Honda takes very seriously its responsibility to self-report incidents, and that, that that was sort of the beginning of this entire process, and it just makes me wonder, you know, how other skilled nursing facilities in California approach that responsibility, and have they indeed been subject to this level of scrutiny and what the result of that may have been. So I just wanna commend you and the staff at Laguna Honda again for taking very seriously your responsibility uh, to provide excellent care to its residents and for the dedication and commitment of the entire staff. Um, it's something that we as commissioner are very proud of, so thank you. All right, seeing no other questions or comments, um, our next item is a closed session pertaining uh, to Laguna Honda as laid out in the agenda. Our first order of business is to have a motion to move into closed session. I still move. I second. All right. Uh, do we have uh, any public comment on the side? Yes, so folks, um, I didn't, I apologize, I didn't call out and um, take away all the hands before we call the new item. So um, please, if the, the, any public comment should be about the closed session, not a general, general comment about Laguna Honda. Again, the public comment should be specific to a closed session. I'll go through and, and um, call out the hands. I, I, I'm assuming there's gonna be more than, than might wanna make comment. All right, caller, please let us know that you're there. Yes, uh, it's Patrick Lynette Shaw. I'm so grateful that I got to phone in during public comment. I had monkey brains here today installing my new internet service provider equipment. So uh, he unfortunately disconnected my phone and went at four o'clock I couldn't call in so when I did get through and you were still on public comment I was so grateful um, I want to challenge what Commissioner Guillermo said the problems at Laguna Honda have been years in the making specifically 18 years in the making since the flow project started Commissioner Guillermo you must stop the flow project. It's long overdue to go the way of Mr. Manetchal, comments are about the closed session. Closed session only. This is not about Laguna Honda. But while, while you're in closed session, the um, topic you should be discussing in flow, closed session is halting the flow project. The 
um, uh, you should know by now that transparency brings accountability. And as far as the closed session goes, you should also discuss in closed session why you haven't gotten the root cause analysis report yet, because that is supposed to have guided or been the roadmap for developing the action plan that is due just about two weeks from now. And if you're concerned about the holidays and getting the action plan written during the holidays, you should demand that you be given the root cause analysis report today and that that document be made public to me today. It was due on December 1st. Here we are December 20th, three weeks later. Um, you have a lot to discuss in question, including the fact that the 2567 details may be written details, but there will be an exit interview when CMS and CDPH leave, and you will know verbally what those deficiencies are before they leave, and you can start working on your 10-day reply to the um, deficiency 2567, even starting writing that today. The health commission should know what the timeline is, and if you don't, you should discuss it some more during closed session. Wake up. Smell the coffee, commissioners. Thank you. Okay. Caller, please let us know that you're there. Hello, caller. Do you have a comment about the closed session? All right. No comment. Caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. Um, I um, abhor the idea that you're going into a closed session, especially about Laguna Honda. Um, the lack of transparency makes me think that Laguna Honda is being set up to fail. Um, by uh, an, a health department that can't move fast enough to save it. And I, I hope, I sincerely hope you're proving me wrong. I understand that a lot of people are working hard, but if you're not changing some of the underlying uh, ways that you operate, such as um, every, every mayor insisting on cuts to staff and um, the flow project, um, the prognosis is really poor. And the public really needs to understand um, how this disaster came to happen. I do hope that we find our way out of it with intact beds and with no further discharges and closures. But uh, doing this mostly in closed session is, is horrible and uh, probably illegal um, in terms of things like the Brown Act. And I, I wish uh, more, there was more transparency and more accountability. Thank you. Right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, this is Steve Zeltzer, and uh, I agree that this secret meeting that you're having uh, should only be for personnel. It shouldn't be issues of public policy. 
and what is happening at the hospital. So why are you having a secret session? I think it, it, it shows the systemic corruption of this, uh, of this board and the city of San Francisco that they would have secret sessions on public policy issues. This is contrary to the Brown Act, and it shows your contempt for the people of San Francisco and California. You commissioners who have been appointed by the mayor really give a, don't give a damn about the people of San Francisco and about transparency. That's what your action today in going into a secret session is about. It's about not telling the truth about what is going on in Laguna Honda. You spend more money in consultants, millions of dollars, and you can't give a report on whether or not you failed or passed your test. This is a complete cover-up, and basically uh, it shows a complete disregard, again, for the people of San Francisco and the people of California. Uh, the cover-up has led to murders. Patients have been murdered because of your uh, reckless, criminally negligent actions of allowing discharges to homeless shelters. Can you imagine that? In San Francisco in 2022, uh, patients are being discharged to homeless shelters where they're dying, the mayor should resign. This is, this is a, the mayor is personally responsible. She appoints you. But apparently you don't care. You don't give a damn that people are dying in San Francisco. You don't care that working people don't have a place to go if they get seriously sick and need proper health care. That doesn't concern you. So why are you there? Basically you're there to protect the corporations, to protect the billionaires in San Francisco who should pay for this crisis. The 80 billionaires in San Francisco can afford to fully fund public health care for all the people of San Francisco. But that's not on the agenda of the Democratic Party in San Francisco, since they represent these same billionaires. And the mayor is a shill for the billionaires, from uh, Bloomberg and the rest of them, who she supported. I mean, the, the wealth of this country, the wealth of this city is not going to the people. We have an oligarchy like Musk. You know, who disregards the laws, who disregards the, the protections that people have, as you have done in the handling of Laguna Honda. And we demand, the people are demanding, that you respect the laws, you respect the Brown Act. You don't go into secret session to cover up uh, the real situation of Laguna Honda, which you're not telling the people of San Francisco. This is a complete cover-up again, and it shows your flagrant disregard of the law. It shows your contempt for the people of San Francisco and going into a secret session when you should have public policy discussions in front of the people. And that is not what is happening at this hearing today. All right, thank you for your comment. There are two more hands. I'd like to acknowledge, I'm not sure what your name is, but, and I'm not sure what troop you are, but there's somebody observing today. Um, you're learning a lot about community and a lot about how public discourse, and I hope this has been helpful to you. Um, all right. Uh, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Okay. And then we've got one more. Caller, are you there? Hi there. Yes. Would you like to make comment on the closed session? I would like to, yes. Um, I, I totally disagree with the ignorant statements made by Dr. Palmer and the previous caller on the face mask topic, but for the closed session matter, they're both spot on. Um, going into closed session is uh, quite significant, as everyone realizes, and I'd like for the board to alleviate this uh, by calling for a roll call vote on this motion, but also 
to insist that each commissioner speak about his or her vote before the roll call vote takes place to, to very clearly state why they agree with closed session or why they disagree with closed session. I would like to know how does Dan Bernal stand on it. I would like to know how does Dr. Green stand on it. I want to know why did Dr. Chow vote for closed session or not closed session. I want to know why Susan Christian voted a certain way. I want to know why Commissioner Chung voted a certain way. I want to know why Commissioner Gerardo voted a certain way. I want to know why Commissioner Guillermo voted a certain way. Um, furthermore, I'd like the vote to be amended, clearly state very clearly what will be spoken of in closed session and what will not be. A, a, a promise to us that, that certain topics will not be touched. And of course, if a closed session goes beyond the proximity of the Brown Act, please be aware that any member of the public may insist that the clock on this matter be rolled back again and that this meeting be held again. A waste of funds, a waste of time. Thank you very much. Okay, that is the last public comment on this item. Um, there's been, um, I've kind of forgotten, commissioners. Did you all do a motion and second? We did a motion and second, and uh, it's now time for commissioner comments or questions. Um, after the members of the public uh, did call in and voice their uh, perspective as well. So thank you for that. Commissioners, any comments or questions before we move to a roll call vote? Seeing no hands, uh, Secretary Morowitz. Yes, I'm, I'm noting that there are two votes here, so we'll do the first vote. That's a hold a closed session, and then let's let's start there. Um, Commissioner Green. Yes. Commissioner Chow. Yes. Commissioner Gerardo. Yes. Commissioner Guillermo. Yes. And Commissioner Bonal. Yes. All right. Before we go into closed session, there's another vote on whether to um, uh, to sorry regarding the pending litigation on the agenda to assert attorney-client privilege in relation to the closed session discussion. It's a separate item, so we'll need a motion again on that. There's no public comment on that because there's only one public comment for all of closed session. I so move. I'll second. All right, I'll do a roll call. Uh, Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. Co Commissioner Chow? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes. All right, thank you. Um, and please, uh, folks on the line, um, thank you for joining us. The, the commission will take a break um, in closed session um, for one hour, and we will be back during that time. While we're in closed session, you will not be able to hear or see us, but you're welcome to join us afterwards. The meeting will return. Um, again, give me uh, about 30 seconds or a minute to take us over there. not disclose discussions held in closed session. I so move not to disclose. A second. I'll do a roll call vote. Um, Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal?
Yes. All right. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you, Secretary Morowitz. Our next item is the approval of minutes for the Health Commission meeting of December 6th, 2022. My understanding is that I believe there are three small edits made to the minutes. Uh, Secretary Morowitz, do you need to go through those? Yes. It's actually two, sir. Um, on page two, under Commissioner, Com uh, under item three, um, the uh, third paragraph, um, Commissioner Chow requested that he change the language from he sends um, good wishes to Dr. Sanchez's family to he sends his congratulations on this well-deserved recognition and best wishes to Dr. Sanchez's family. And then on page three under item five, um, the third um, uh, comment under commissioner comments, Commissioner Chow also requested that I um, change the two to buy. And so it now we'll read Commissioner Bernal acknowledged the incredible work of all ZSFG staff. He acknowledged the excellent care that ZSFG staff provided to Paul Pelosi during his stay at the hospital. Thank you for that. All right, commissioners, uh, upon reviewing the uh, minutes, all right, uh, do we need a motion to approve? Do we have a motion to approve. Motion to approve, yes. Second. All right, any public comment? Um, folks on the line, I see one hand. Folks on the line, if you'd like to make comment on, we're on item five, the approval of the minutes, please press star three. Um, person on the line, you are unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Yes, it's Patrick Manette-Shot. These minutes contain item number 12 about a summary of the December 2022 contracts consent calendar which included a contract to convert. I kind of wish that I had a man to get mad at shit like this. Am I I'm sorry, speaking? Uh, go ahead, sir. I want my full minutes yes. and not be interrupted. Yes, please go ahead. The consent calendar included a contract to convert 23 acute beds at Chinese Hospital to license subacute SNF and SNF overflow beds for patients being referred from SFGH between December 1st, 2022 to November 30th, 2023. Given a potential conflict for Commissioner Chow, the minutes say the contract will be brought back to this commission at a later date. You should schedule that follow-up meeting um, during a regular 4 p.m. commission meeting, not in a 2 p.m. finance subcommittee meeting. The purpose of the contract is, quote, to provide surge capacity for skilled nursing beds and subacute skilled nursing beds. Patients will be evaluated for appropriate referral from SFGH inpatient units. End quote. Will these 23 beds be limited to only subacute patients from SFGH, or will patients from other hospitals in the city be able to be admitted to this subacute SNP unit at Chinese Hospital? You need to schedule a full commission 4 p.m. meeting agenda item on the status of these 23 beds if they are the first tranche of the desperately needed subacute beds in the city and what the health commission's plans are, if any, to expand 
from the 23 beds up to 90 uh, subacute beds. It's the Health Commission Public Safety Committee, Neighborhood Services and the Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee has recommended that we need 90 subacute beds. So you need both a, an agenda item on this contract and an agenda item updating San Franciscans on where we stand in finally getting some subacute SNP beds back in uh, service for patients from all hospitals. Thank you. All right, thank you for your comment. That's the only hand raised during the, this item. All right, commissioners, any comments or questions before we move into a roll call vote? Seeing none. Oh, yes, uh, Commissioner Green. I'm sorry. No, um, now we're voting, though. So I'm asking for a vote. Is this Commissioner Green? Okay. Okay. Commissioner yes. Chow? Yes. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Yes. Um, and, commission, and commissioners, Commissioner Dorado is having some technical issues, just for us to know. And then Commissioner Bernal. Yes. All right, so the item passes. Thank you. All right, moving into our next item, we have the director's report. And it is always great to have with us Dr. Navina Baba, the Deputy Director of Health, to share the director's report. Dr. Baba, take it away. Thank you, President Bernal, and good evening, commissioners. Um, it's my pleasure to present to you the director's report. I'll start with our COVID update. So, um, next slide, please. As I'm sure you're all aware, Commissioner, um, commissioners COVID is increasing um, not only in San Francisco, but California and across the nation. Um, we have seen an increase in cases. Um, our percentage positive has started to decrease, so we'll watch this trend closely. Next slide, please. And in terms of hospitalization, um, we've had, as of the 16th, so I have a slightly updated numbers, we've had 114 individuals that have been hospitalized, which include 13 people in the ICU. Next slide. Um, I, as the commissioners are probably well aware of, um, the bivalent booster did get approval for above six months. Um, and we have been doing a lot of messaging with our community partners and on social media to get this, the word out about bivalent um, boosters. As of today, there are 283,966 individuals who have received a bivalent booster, which is about 32% of the population. Um, we have seen um, a, a higher uptake in those over 65, which is good news, but we still have a ways to go. Again, our numbers are much better than California and the rest of the nation, but there are a significant number of people that still need to get a bivalent booster um, in order to be protected. The other piece of news um, that was heartening was that um, recent studies from the CDC did show that the bivalent booster did decrease hospitalizations. Next slide, please. I wanted to talk a little bit about our holiday um, response to not only COVID, but as people have termed it, the triple demic. We know that there's a lot of different viruses um, circulating right now. So um, we've been doing some messaging that started way back in Thanksgiving. Next slide, please. On social media, um, we have launched a special website for both COVID-19 flu and RSV to talk about the different um, ways that one can protect themselves, specifically around COVID-19, the flu, obviously getting your vaccine. We've developed a social media toolkit. 
um, that has safety messages and graphics. We've dis uh, distributed this toolkit um, to public information officers citywide, and we've also put this on social media platforms. We've been promoting community and school vaccine pop-up events, and we're having events in uh, multiple different schools to ensure that vaccine remains um, low barrier to um, families and children. Next slide, please. We've also done a number of events um, to try to get the word out. This includes prior to Thanksgiving and now prior to um, the, the holiday season. Um, this includes press releases and media statements talking about ways people can protect themselves. We have also joined regional efforts with Abajo to ensure that um, our message is not just within San Francisco, but within the Bay Area. There was a press conference that was held on December 15th. Um, there, Dr. Susan Phillip, our health officer, and Dr. Gabriel Ortiz, um, a uh, clinician at ZSFG, were able to provide information on how people could protect themselves against COVID. Next slide, please. And then in terms of community outreach, we've partnered with um, the school district to offer um, some school pop-ups, both for flu as well as the bivalent booster. Um, these uh, school sites are in prior priority communities where we know um, COVID has disproportionately impacted um, the population. So there's been six school pop-ups in December and in November, and then there will be seven school pop-ups in um, early January. We're also working with vendors and community partners to ensure continuity and testing and vaccine services um, into the new year. And we are connecting our community partners to COVID response resources. This includes ongoing resources such as masking, testing, vaccines, but also tests to treat. Um, we do know that treatment is underutilized, and so we want to, again, make that as low barrier as possible. And finally, I just wanted to say that we did hold, hold a celebration honoring um, all of our community partners that have been participating in COVID over these last three years. It's been a very long haul for all of them and really wanted to give them the recognition that they deserve um, in terms of getting us to this point. Next slide, please. Um, and just briefly on monkeypox cases, there have been several weeks that we have not had any monkeypox cases, which is great news. Next slide, please. So I wanted to end with um, you know, talking about how COVID rate cases have increased. We continue to focus our efforts on messaging and improving vaccine and booster. Um, we also know that there's high levels of flu and RSV cases, as well as other circulating viruses. Um, this is putting a lot of strain on the medical and healthcare system. So we are monitoring both adult and pediatric bed status, um, as well as working with the state on that. And we have several tips on how people can protect themselves this season. Obviously, getting vaccinated with um, the bivalent booster as well as the flu shot. Um, if you're feeling sick, staying home, practicing good hand hygiene, really urging people to wear masks if they choose to go in an indoor setting and um, a well-fitting mask, either a K95 or an N95. Um, if you do get sick, being able to test for COVID and getting a treatment as, much, uh, as soon as possible and then um, having rapid test kits on hand. We are providing rapid test kits, and as I think you all have heard, the federal government is also offering free rapid test kits. Um, DPH is working with the state to plan around the end of the state of emergency that is happening in February of 2023. So that is the end of the COVID presentation. I will just um, mention two items on director's port report that I wanna highlight. One is the Abundant Birth Project, um, which is on page three of the director's report. 
The Abundant Birth Project is a project that was launched in San Francisco with um, our partnership with UCSF and Expecting Justice. It provides basic income for um, pregnant women, and um, the women are chosen because they have disproportionately um, poor outcomes from birth, so either preterm birth or high, high infant and maternal mortality. Um, this is a way to um, combat structural racism as, socio, as well as socioeconomic inequities. Um, we are very lucky in that the Abundant Birth Project has been recognized as the state as a very promising approach um, in redu reducing these disparities, and they have been chosen to lead efforts statewide um, over the next year to provide basic income um, for um, a couple different counties, including Alameda, Contra Costa, Los Angeles, and Riverside. So really want to congratulate them for all that work. And then the second thing I want to highlight is um, the effort to give out holiday turkeys that happened um, on December 10th. This was um, an effort by the um, San Francisco African-American Faith-Based Coalition and DPH, um, headed by um, Dr. Ver uh, Veronica Shepard within PhD. Um, 50 faith-based and community organizations gave out um, a significant amount of holiday food, gift cards, and health resources, distributing more to than 6,700 San Francisco households. And we do know that food insecurity continues to be a major issue, um, especially as price of food has increased. So this was a major way to um, ensure during the holiday season people had access to food. And I will stop there. Happy to take any questions. Great. Thank you, Dr. Baba. Uh, do we have any public comment on this item? Folks on the line, we're on item six, the director's report. Please press star three if you'd like to make a comment on this item. Star three. I see one hand. Hi, caller. You're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, caller. Are you there? Oh. You. I've just unmuted you. I apologize. That's all right. It's Patrick Manatshaw. I know with interest that the um, COVID tracking page for Laguna Honda Hospital um, shows that uh, there have been 234 cases of COVID among patients uh, year to date in um, 2022. Um, and of those, there have been five deaths. I want to remind the commission that in 2020, there had only been 46 um, cases of COVID at Laguna Honda and 32 cases in 2021 for a total of 78 cases across a two-year period compared to 234 cases this year. And there had been six deaths from March 2020 when COVID arrived to uh, the end of December 2021. Uh, so that was six deaths of patients at Laguna Honda in a year and a uh, nine-month period compared to six uh, five deaths um, in 2020, 2022. No wonder CMS is concerned about the lack of um, uh, infection control prevention efforts at Laguna Honda, particularly 
around nursing staff not adhering to protocols as had been noticed, noted in a Form 2567 in April of 2022. Why is it that infection control around COVID remained such a frickin' problem at Laguna Honda Hospital? Thank you. All right, that is the only comment that we have. Commissioners, any comments or questions for Dr. Baba? Commissioner Green has her hand up. Vice President Green. Yes. Well, I just wanted to emphasize and compliment Expecting Justice and the Abundant Birth Project. The fact that they are expanding throughout the state. So many things have been tried to improve uh, maternal outcomes, and they have not succeeded. And this is finally something that we have some data showing efficacy. And I think it's a testament to the potential of this program that is being validated, that's being spread throughout the state. And this is one more homegrown San Francisco project that I think will eventually become a national model for how we can have an impact on the horrid uh, maternal mortality and morbidity statistics that we see across the country for especially for black and brown women. So I'm, I'm really delighted that this has happened and I just wanted to um, emphasize that and, and compliment them again. Thank you, Vice President Green. Any other comments or questions? I see no other hands. All right, thank you, Dr. Baba. We'll move on to our next item, which is a resolution to recommend to the Board of, Super to the Board of Supervisors to authorize the Department of Public Health to accept and expend a gift of $15,750 from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation. Mr. Wong will be presenting. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. Thank Good you evening. Very much for we would like to present for an in-kind gift $15,750. Okay. Could you speak up a little bit, Greg? Sorry about that. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um, we would like to present for an in-kind gift from the San Francisco Public Health Foundation in the amount of $15,750, which will come in the form of 450 boxes with a $35 value per box. These boxes will be distributed by DPH staff people experiencing homelessness, and both to existing patients and to people not yet connected to care. These gifts, uh, these gift boxes will include snacks, uh, bottles of Ensure, ducks, Mylar blankets, hand warmers, hygiene kits, first aid kits, hand sanitizers, face masks, Kleenex, and a flyer sharing how could connect to the San Francisco Department of Public Health health care services. We ask that you let us accept and expand this gift. Thank you very much, Mr. Wong. Uh, do we have a motion to approve? I so approve. A second. Right, any public comment? Sure, folks on the line, we're on item seven, um, the resolution to recommend to the Board of Supervisors to authorize the DPH to accept and expend a grant of $15,750. Please press star three if you'd like to make comment on this item. Star three. I see no hands, so I will do a roll call vote. Um, Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Dorado? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes, with thanks to the San Francisco Public Health Foundation for their leadership and generosity, as well as Commissioner Dorado for representing the commission on that body. Thank you. Thank you so much. 
Thank you, Mr. Wong. All right, our next item is, uh, let's see, Community and Public Health Committee update. Uh, Commissioner Gerardo, chair of said committee. Thank you, and I hope I can keep my network on enough to go through this. We had two excellent reports. The first one was the emergency preparedness and response update, and it was, uh, it was really quite fascinating and walked us through and discussed the city partnerships to coordinate disaster mitigation and also to cultivate resiliency and um, basically and to keep access to the health system, healthcare systems open in disasters. There's three programs that were highlighted. One was health preparedness, healthcare preparedness. The second was the emergency preparedness of all um, hazards that could impact health. And the other was the operations and logistics. Um, they uh, conduct exercises at the plans and the major accomplishments. Um, and we were walked through the process and I thought it was for both Commissioner Chow and myself, a great education. But the major accomplishments of the disasters were COVID, uh, MPOX, and the tenderloin. The short emergencies that we were walked through were such as the Pride Parade and the Beta Breakers. They currently have a staff of 14 and they're increasing it to 28. And what is real exciting within this group is they are really um, looking to improve their response and efficiency, but including um, a real focus on com on community resiliency uh, during and post um, a disaster, which is a new direction for the department. Um, and we um, asked for a return to our committee um, on updates on when they are fully staffed and uh, we are most interested in their community resiliency and partnerships. So that was one report. <clears throat> the second report was maternal child adolescent health. And um, it was very difficult for the department since all of their areas were impacted by the, their staff, a good portion of their staff being deployed for COVID. 2022 was really looking at a rebuilding of their programs. They joined EPIC. Um, they've also partnered with DCYF with uh, surveying the needs of uh, basically kids um, after COVID. And uh, we heard um, areas that they're focused on that there were real gaps, which is dental care, mental health, which is, you know, obvious, as well as um, focusing on building uh, collaborations uh, focused on kids with disabilities. They have uh, a new building. They're really looking at the infrastructure of their programs in uh, going forward. And we also asked for a return on um, a number of uh, updates on their infrastructure in rebuilding their programs. Uh, as well as uh, their, the collaboration with a number of community groups on um, kids with uh, disability healthcare needs. So 
they were uh, both very good. They were, I felt, very interactive and responsive to our uh, questions. <clears throat> but since they've got really great new directions, is to come back and give us uh, an update. I don't know if Commissioner Chow has anything more to add. I, I uh, think that covered uh, uh, two excellent presentations. Thank you for allowing me to be here. Thank you, Commissioners Gerardo and Chow. Uh, do we have any public comment on this item? Uh, uh, folks online, if you'd like to make comment on item eight, the Community and Public Health Committee update, please press star three. I see no hands. Commissioners, any comments or questions? Seeing none, thank you for the update on the Community and Public Health Committee. Our next item is other business. Commissioners, do we have any other business? Seeing as there is no other business, we will move on oh, to our next actually, item. Sir, I've got to do public comment. Oh, sure. Do, uh, thank you. That's okay. Um, if you'd like to make comment on other business, item nine, please press star three. Just want to make sure we check. Star three. And there is a hand. All right. Uh, please, um, you've got three minutes, Mr. Manetshaw. Okay, I won't need that long, Mr. Morowitz. I just want to repeat my request that the Health Commission schedule um, for discussion a, a future agenda item rapidly on um, both the um, Chinese hospital contract and um, the other matter that I mentioned that I'm forgetting off the top of my head that I'll have to come back to. Um, but in addition, back in on March 8th of 2022, I believe is the date, the um, full commission heard an agenda item on, I'm sorry, I think maybe March 8th of the JCC meeting. And the uh, JCC was presented with the report on the proposed housing project for Laguna Honda's campus. I realized that following that March 8th JCC meeting, all hell broke loose at Laguna Honda around the closure and patient transfer plan, which may excuse the full commission. But the JCC commissioners specifically requested that the Laguna Honda housing plan be brought to the full commission and presented to the full commission. It's now been a good nine months since that JCC meeting made the recommendation to put it on a full health commission agenda, and you haven't done that yet, unless for some reason I have missed seeing on a full health commission agenda that you've had a discussion about the Laguna Honda housing project, which is a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. So you have some work to do about scheduling uh, future agenda items. So I suggest after this meeting, you get to work 
unscheduling those overdue agenda items. Thank you. Okay, that's the only comment. Uh, the next item, item 10, is the Joint Conference Committee and other committee reports. And Commissioner Guillermo um, can report back on the December 13th Laguna Honda JCC. Um, I was uh, not in attendance at that. Oh, I'm sorry. Reading. I'm sorry. Yeah. Right. Uh, Commissioner Green, um, can you discuss the, the brief open session? Um, it really was just the minutes. Yes, it was a very brief open session where we approved the minutes. And then much of what's been discussed today in open session was reviewed in that particular meeting. All right, and I see two hands um, uh, from public comment. Um, is it okay if I do that, Commissioner Bernal? Yes, please. Um, so folks online, just to remind you, we're on item 10. If you would like to make public comment on the Joint Conference Committee update, you can press star three. Um, Mr. Manette Shaw, I've just unmuted you. You've got three minutes. Oh, I didn't do it. I'm sorry. I've unmuted you now, Mr. Manetchal, and now you've got three minutes. Can you hear me, Mr. Marwitz? Yes. Patrick? Yes. Okay. So that uh, December 13th JCC meeting was essentially a joke because all you did was get together and promptly go into closed session. And when you came out of closed session, you didn't tell us what you talked about. So what did you talk about? Did you talk about the CMS surveyors who had already been on site for some length of time since the end of November, and you just didn't want to tell us that you were worried about what they were finding. And now maybe the CMS survey might have ended already, and you still don't want to tell us what the problem is. Callers tonight, specifically called to you guys to stop hiding behind your closed session and start telling us, members of the public, what you've been discussing in closed session about Laguna Honda. After all, democracies and long-term care skilled nursing facilities like Laguna Honda Hospital die in secrecy. You need to stop the secrecy and start telling us what's really going on out there and when you're going to schedule the second mock survey, when you're going to release to the public the um, uh, root cause analysis report, when you're going to release to the public the action plan, when you're going to uh, submit applications to CMS to reapply for certification, you need to stop hiding behind a wall of silence. Shame on you. Okay. Uh, next caller, you are unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Hi, this is Dr. Teresa Palmer. Uh, basically, um Agreeing with Patrick Manette Shaw, this excessive use of closed sessions, um, uh, discussing stuff that the public needs to know about their nursing home, their safety net facility, is unacceptable and probably illegal uh, in terms of the Brown Act, and it really needs to stop. Um, the only assumption can be uh, is that um, 
uh, things are not going well. And I, I sincerely hope that's not the case. But if so, we need to know. Um, because um, other levels of government are involved, and the public outcry may be helpful. Um, to conceal this is not, not right. Thank you. Okay, that's the last comment. Commissioners, any comments oh, or questions? Oh, oh, another hand just went up. I apologize. All right, caller, you're unmuted. Please let us know that you're there. Can you hear me? Yes. You've got three minutes. Very good. Very good. I would like to, I would like to commend the commissioners for um, having this meeting in secret and um, doing so with an uh, example of state-funded health care. Um, state-funded health care is always an inferior solution, always leads to tyranny, uh, always leads to poor outcome, outcomes for the patient. Um, though in the short term, Laguna Honda may have some positives to it, in the long term, it has been a nightmare. Um, and just as has happened in many other countries, um, this, this uh, board has um, shown what kind of tyranny and failure can be predictable with uh, when government is trusted with uh, medicine. And it is no surprise that you held this meeting behind closed doors. It is no surprise that the uh, previous two callers are very reasonably asking questions, very reasonable questions, and are getting ignored by you. It is no surprise you're acting like tyrants. It is no surprise you are acting like, uh, as has happened in many countries for many years when medicine is put in the hands of government. I would like to thank you for proving uh, all these points accurate, and I would like to thank you for helping to bring down Laguna Honda more quickly and for bringing an end to the evil experiment of government, government uh, medicine as quickly as possible. You are doing great work in uh, being as tyrannical as possible and as secretive as possible. Thank you so much for that. Wow. That is the last comment. All right. Thank you, callers. Uh, our next item, uh, oh, commissioners, any comments or questions on the Joint Conference Committee? I don't see any hands. Seeing none, uh, we completed our closed session and we can entertain a motion to adjourn. I move for adjournment. I so moved. I heard two, so I will do a roll call. Commissioner. I second. Uh, Commissioner Guillermo? Yes. Commissioner Gerardo? Commissioner yes. Gerardo? Okay. Commissioner Chow? Yes. Commissioner Green? Yes. And Commissioner Bernal? Yes, and thank you to everyone. This is our last Health Commission meeting of 2022. Thanks to commissioners, thanks to DPH staff, thanks to all of the San Franciscans who actively engage in our meetings. We hope you have a safe and healthy holiday season, and we look forward to seeing you in the new year. Special thanks to our Secretary, Commission Secretary Mark Morowitz for keeping our trains running on time and for organizing uh, excellent meetings uh, under some extraordinary circumstances over the past few years. So thanks to everyone, and we'll see you in the new year. And thanks to our friends at SFGov TV.